Amen. Would that be our prayer? That above all else, the song of our hearts, the the meditation of our hearts, the words from our lips, our desires would be the praise of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Good morning, River City. How are we today? Good? Well, welcome. As we open God's Word, um, let me... um, let me pray for us and pray for myself and pray for our time. Would you, would you join me? Father, we thank you that although this might even be our desire that we would worship you with all that we are, we confess that we do this so imperfectly. We acknowledge before you we are in desperate need of your mercy. And we're thankful That what you offer us in Christ Jesus is sufficient to meet our great need. Thank you for your word to teach and instruct, to encourage and equip us this morning. Would you work in us by the Holy Spirit for your glory and for our joy? Because of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab uh, a copy of God's word. And we're going to read in a couple of places uh, today, Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 22. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and uh, Life or Barrett from our strike team can, can put one in your hands. Now before we read, uh, this summer we're working through Hebrews chapter 11 together and we're looking at example after example of faith put into practice. That's what Hebrews 11 is. It's, it's a record. It's an account of of examples of those who endured, they persevered, trusting God despite their challenges, despite their trials. They wouldn't always see it, it wouldn't always happen the way they expected it, but they were confident that God would absolutely do everything that He promised. Two weeks ago, Barrett looked at Noah and how a believing Faith demands a corresponding response. And and last week, uh, Richard looked at verses 8 through 16 of Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews begins to tell the story of Abraham and how we start seeing faith as a two-part idea, belief and action, or as defined last week, believing obedience. Abel was called to sacrifice. Enoch was called to uphold righteousness. Noah was called to build a boat in the middle of nowhere, for the salvation of his family. Abraham was called to leave his homeland and to wait patiently for God to provide a son, even in his old age. Each of these is a call to believing obedience, faith showing itself to be real when put into practice. So we're going to pick up the story of Abraham in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11 and how his faith in God's faithfulness now would be tested Would Abraham hold back from God or would he hold fast to God's promise? So let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. It'll be on the screen as well. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up His only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, if you you would, would you turn back to Genesis 
22, way at the beginning of your Bibles, where we'll look at this story of Abraham and Isaac in a little more depth. I'm going to read Genesis 22, 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, both, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is God's holy word. Through the Holy Spirit, may it renew our minds, soften our hearts, and empower our hands for service as under the Lord. Amen. Now, one of the first things to me that stands out, and we've talked about this in this series already just a little, is the reality that Abraham and Noah and Enoch and Abel, they heard from God. Genesis tells us that Abraham, or excuse me, God called Abraham by name. And in such a way that Abraham replied, here I am. So it was familiar and vocal enough that Abraham would respond, you called? So point one this morning, hearing God. God spoke to Abraham. I don't know what that looked or sounded like exactly. I wasn't there. All we know is that God spoke. And it seems logical that if there are instructions to follow, that you probably have to hear them. Parents in the room, have you looked at an incomplete task? And you look at your child and you ask, why didn't you do this thing that I've asked? Anybody ever ask that of their kids? I'm getting hands raised. Yes, I have, right? The response is often, sometimes maybe in my situation, well, I, didn't, I didn't hear you. And I'm sure sometimes. 
sometimes that is a legitimate response. They legitimately didn't hear me. Other times, I'm willing to bet that's selective hearing. I didn't actually want to hear you, so I didn't hear you. God calls out to Abraham. And what happened in the past, if we read back into Genesis and think of the last, last week and the, the passage we read, what happened in the past when the Lord called Abraham? He had to leave his homeland and wander in the wilderness. He was promised a son and an heir that would make him the father of nations, but he had to wait and wait and wait for that promise to be fulfilled. So it's reasonable to think because Abraham's a person, just like you and just like me, that he might be a little weary. Yes, God has been faithful. When is enough enough? Can God pick on somebody else? But Abraham is ready. At least we get the impression that Abraham is ready to respond. No matter what God is going to call him to, God says, Abraham, and Abraham's response is, here I am. Now, some of you might say, that's all well and good. Abraham had it easy. God spoke to him directly. We might be tempted to say that if God called our name out loud, we're out mowing the lawn or we're folding laundry or we're going about our day and we hear an audible voice of saying, Jake, Joe, Steve, and we go, yes, Lord? We might think that if if God spoke to us that way, we might respond differently. We might be less hesitant. We might be more confident, more faithful in our obedience. But if we're honest, I don't think that's the case. Now, I don't believe it's normative that God the Father speaks to us in the same way that he often spoke to the saints of old as recorded in the scriptures. Now, that isn't to say that God doesn't speak. I believe that God, as a loving Father, absolutely speaks to his children. By the Spirit of God, he counsels and confirms the Word of God in the hearts and minds of his own. Add to that, there are many stories, numerous, too numerous to count, of men and women in faraway places who've never heard the name of Jesus, who awake from a vivid picture, a dream of of the risen Christ. And because of that, will go and seek out a missionary or a faithful Christian who will open God's word for them, and the Spirit of God will illuminate their hearts, and they will become believers in Jesus. There's too many stories of that. But what's happening there is it's rooted in the Word of God, revealed in the Scriptures, which testify about the Word of God incarnate, Jesus. And when speaking to the religious leaders of his day in John 5, Jesus tells them, you search the Scriptures, you search all over the Torah, thinking that in them you'll find life, but you don't realize that these words that you read are actually speaking of me. Jesus says. They bear witness about me. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Word of God incarnate. And the words that you hold in your hand are telling my story. So when the Bible speaks, God speaks. So if I could be so bold, God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. You you hold it in your hand right now. 
and as believers in Jesus Christ who, who bear the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to you through His Word. So when the Bible tells you to love your neighbor, when the Bible says pray for those who persecute you, when the Bible tells us to humble ourselves, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, when the Bible tells us to not give up meeting together, to bear one another's burdens, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, when the Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, when it tells us that, we are no longer our own. But you've been bought with a price. God is speaking to you. So if we're going to have a faith that, that doesn't waver, that responds like Abraham with, here I am, to whatever he calls. If we're going to practice believing obedience that we talked about last week, the first thing is that we actually need to hear when God is speaking. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us right away, by the way, <clears throat> this is a test. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. If the first big idea out of this is hearing God, the second is this. Faith will be tested. As a staff, we get together early each week, and we debrief the, the sermon from the last week and kind of give feedback to, to whoever preached and, and, and give also feedback on the text to come. We read it together. We pray together. We, we work through any challenging components. Uh, it's, it's really been very helpful, especially um, when we have multiple voices like this preaching in a series coming from different perspectives and backgrounds. But it also draws upon the gifts and perspectives of the whole team. And as I was sharing this week my initial thoughts on this passage, uh, Rich Ferdin, who's sitting here in the second row, he preached last week, pointed out that it seems that in the life of Abraham, what's being required of him is escalating. So I just want to properly cite my source on this. My source here is Rich. At first, Abraham is called to something uncomfortable. Leave your home, go to where I'll show you. Second, Abraham's called to something very unlikely. You're old and your wife is old and you're going to have a child in your old age. And not only that, but this son of promise is the first in what will be multitudes. An uncountable number of descendants is how it's worded. And now, from uncomfortable to unlikely, Abraham's being called to something unthinkable. He was called to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. Look at Genesis chapter 22 again, verse 2. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now just for a moment, think about the significance of this request. You, you don't need to be a parent to, to see how big this is. Try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes as a father. From, from an emotional or from a, like a counseling perspective, parents having to bury their own children is one of the most brutal heartaches that we experience on this side of heaven. It's one of the most 
trying, emotionally uh, devastating things that we experience as humans is when a parent has to bury a child. But on top of that, to have to be responsible for it, which is what Abraham's being called to do. I mean, what kind of terrible horror would that be? On top of that, God makes a point to remind Abraham, it's not just your son, Abraham, it's the son whom you love. Take your only son whom you love. And more than that, if it wasn't enough, everybody knew Isaac was the promised one, the one through whom the rest of God's promise was going to be fulfilled. So if Isaac dies, the promise of a nation, the promise of a, of a lineage, the promise of a people dies with him, or so it seems. As an aside, I asked my wife this week, I, I wonder what Sarah thought Hey, Abraham, where are you guys going? Can you imagine this conversation? We're just going off for a little guy time. We'll be back. Would she have intervened if she knew? How did Isaac feel about this? Scholars are a little bit split, but it's likely he wasn't a, a very small child. In fact, Abraham put the wood on his shoulders, made him carry it, so he, he was likely a teenager, maybe even a young man. And clearly his dad was old, so he did, but he didn't fight him. I don't know about you, but putting myself in Abraham's shoes, I can fashion out what my responses probably would be, right? You're going to leave all that you know and go where I show you. Okay, I can stomach that. You're going to have a son in your old age. Pretty impossible thing, but it's going to happen. Are you sure? Now, sacrifice your only son. Are you nuts? Like, I can quickly go from, okay, I don't know, I don't think so. Okay, that's just my responses. Maybe, maybe yours are different. But what is Abraham's response? 22 verse 3. In verse 2, God says, take your son, take him to the mountain, I'll show you where you'll sacrifice him. In verse 3, Genesis tells us, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young myth with him and his son Isaac. That's it. That little white space between verse 2 and verse 3 is all God wants to tell us about Abraham's wrestle. All we know in verse 3 is that he rises early in the morning, gathers his things, and starts out. I don't know if Abraham wrestled with the questions that I would wrestle with. The ones I just walk through the scriptures don't tell us. But all in all, this seems like a pretty extreme test, doesn't it? Like there's tests and then there's tests. This one seems insane from our perspective. Why was God asking this of Abraham? Look down at verse 12 of Genesis 22. Abraham's laid his uh, son Isaac out on the altar. He's tied him up, knife in hand, raised above his head. And the angel of the Lord calls out to him, Abraham, stop. And the angel says, I, now I know that you fear God, seeing as though you've not 
withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, was God unsure of the condition of Abraham's heart? I don't think so. See, God's perspective and understanding are not limited like ours are, but for Abraham to see it and for us to see what was going on here, it had to be shown. Let me be very clear with you this morning. God is not calling any of us to sacrifice our children to the Lord on a hill somewhere. I'm pretty confident in telling you, Steve Peterson, that you're not supposed to take Riley over here to the sledding hill later with some wood and a knife. Riley's very glad that I just told you that. Noted, thank you. Right? But part of what we're seeing in this account of Abraham and Isaac is a foreshadowing of redemption found in Christ Jesus. There's some specifics here that relate to Jesus that we need to see. Abraham was called to offer his only son. And in his mercy, God provided a substitute so that his son would be spared. Instead of the son, it was the ram. For us, we are strapped to the proverbial altar, if you will, to pay for our own sins. And God the Father freely offers His own Son as a substitute so that we would be spared. Do you see the parallel? There's something greater going on here in the story of Abraham and Isaac, and we'll come back to that here in a second. But we're also seeing something about faith in practice, believing obedience in real time. God calls us to not hold back but be willing to give up what we most treasure because He is more beautiful, because He is our highest treasure. There's something for us to learn here in Abraham's obedience. So while God is not calling you, let me be very clear again, not calling you to bring your child to a hill somewhere and kill them, it is possible that He is calling you to consider what is it that you treasure most? And ask the question, your career, your comfort, your family, your reputation, your desire for a spouse, your desire for children, your own hopes and dreams. Do you treasure any of these things more than Christ Jesus? And if called to lay them down, can you do it? What's your response when God calls you to give up what you treasure most? This is not to prove to God that you're serious, but to affirm in your own heart, to give you assurance of your faith. 1 Peter 1 says that various trials come. He says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, although tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith will be tested in order to purify us, in order to strengthen us, in order to encourage us, so that we will persevere all the way to the end until we see Jesus face to face. We offer up lesser treasures because we are sure that God's best for us is secure. It's sure. God speaks to us through his word. Our faith is tested by God to refine us. <clears throat> and this kind of faith 
that we've been talking about now for a number of weeks, this kind of faith that is confident that God will fulfill all that he's promised absolutely reshapes how we see reality. So the third and final point this morning is faith's reality. See, during the journey from from God's call to Abraham and the three days it took to get to the mountain where he would sacrifice Isaac, Hebrews 11.19 tells us Abraham considered. What a great word. He considered. What did he consider? Hebrews tells us that too. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what Abraham thought about on the journey, according to Hebrews. It's as if the Spirit of God, through the writer of Hebrews, is saying, I was there, and here's what Abraham was thinking. Now, whether or not Abraham wrestled with what God told him to do, at some point, he resolved that God would still fulfill his promise. God would raise him from the dead, Hebrews eleven nineteen. He was sure of it. It's why he raised the knife. And in Genesis 22, 5, if you remember from that we read earlier, Abraham says to the servants, hey, stay here. Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going to go worship and we'll come back to you. Abraham wasn't lying, I don't think, in that moment. He was sure, telling his servants to wait, both of us will be back. We'll come back together. How? I don't know. But we'll both come back together. See, Isaac was the child of promise, and Abraham was sure that God would keep his promise. So if Isaac was going to die, the only logical explanation was that God would raise Isaac from the dead. There was no other option for God or for Abraham. We might say, that's a little crazy. That seems irrational. But I I love the words of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote uh, all the Sherlock Holmes books. Anybody read Sherlock Holmes? Anybody? Great. A few people. I don't read a lot of fiction, but what I do, I, I enjoy Sherlock Holmes. He says this. He's speaking to Watson. He says, How often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth? When you've eliminated the impossible... Whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I don't know if Doyle was a believer in Jesus at all, but he found a little nugget here that I find kind of helpful. Which is more impossible, that God would lie or that God would raise Isaac from the dead? Abraham goes, it must be raising Isaac from the dead because God can't lie. The impossible thing was that The promise wouldn't be fulfilled even though God said so. So the improbable thing seems most likely God must raise Isaac from the dead. Pastor Sam Storm says it this way, the Bible never calls on us to ignore reality. Rather, it calls calls on us to put our faith in the Lord of reality. In other words, faith doesn't declare the circumstances and natural barriers to be non-existent. Faith simply declares that God is not shackled by them as we are. I love that. Abraham doesn't have to say, well, I guess Isaac doesn't have to die. He goes, no, no. I got to do what God called me to do. And if God's going to fulfill his promise, then clearly he has some big things in store. He trusts God's character. 
Abraham was practicing what we learned at the beginning of Hebrews. He had a conviction of something he could not see with his eyes. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this about Abraham. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, it's a great phrase Paul uses, fully convinced that God was able to do as he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. No unbelief made him waver. So faith is defined as confidence that God will do all that he's promised to do. And faith in practice is believing obedience. Two questions for me rise to the surface. One, what promises of God are strong and sure? What are the things that strengthen us, that hold fast to us, that we can hold fast to, that keep us from failing? And two, how do we grow and nurture this kind of faith? Because I don't know that it just happens. First, promises. There are too many promises for us to list today for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. But let's just look at one. That the righteousness of Christ is counted to all who believe. Do you believe in Him who raised Christ from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus was offered up for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus was raised again to new life for your justification? That we deserve death for our sins, for our unrighteousness, but for those who believe that. Do you believe that Christ is the ram in the thicket who's offered up for us in our place? That Christ takes our punishment, we receive Christ's perfect righteousness Martin Luther called this the great exchange. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. And as Pastor Charlie asked a couple of weeks ago, do you believe that this is now your identity? This is who you are. Can God do that? If you want something practical this week to build on that, Open up your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and just make a list of all the promises that are yours in Christ Jesus. Just write them down, that these belong to all of those who are followers of Jesus. And be amazed that God the Father would willingly give His Son, whom He loves, in exchange for my soul, in exchange for yours. That, that I could be justified by the blood of Jesus. That I could be spared from paying for my own sins. That I would be welcomed alongside Jesus, the perfect son. Welcomed into the family. Adopted into the family of God. And that even when I am faithless, he remains faithful. Be amazed by that. These promises keep our faith from failing doesn't always keep us from doubt and worry, but it keeps us from despair so that we're fully convinced. And second, we grow. Romans 4 tells us Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. 
I find that an interesting correlation. Abraham worshipped. He considered it worship to the Lord when he told his servants to stay with the donkey. We're going to go up the mountain. Why? God was going to get some glory out of this. I don't know what it is, but we're going to go on the mountain and worship and we'll come back to you. So what does it look like to give God the glory in every circumstance? Like Job to declare, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. To declare out loud in the good and the bad, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praised be the name of the Lord. Our faith is strengthened as we worship God for who he is. Meditating on his character. Confessing our dependence upon him. That's one way in which we grow. We worship. Two, when tested, we hold nothing back. It's an opportunity to work out that muscle, so to speak, to stretch that faith that God has gifted us with. A few months before he died, my dad told me, I'm convinced that God will heal me. He may choose to do it here or he may not, but I am confident that I will stand before the Lord whole and healed. And at this moment, he stands whole and healed. His faith was being exercised, was being tested. Is God good? Do I believe him? Testing will come. Trials will come. And when they do, we strive, not in our own strength, in the Lord's strength, to hold Christ tightly and to hold everything else loosely. Will God not provide? Will he not heal? Will he not fulfill his promise? Which is more likely, that God will lie or that he will be true to his character, that he will fulfill his promise? And, and lastly, we need to just ask. <laughs> Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do is just to say, God, I am weak and I am weary and I got nothing. Would you help? I'm confident that God always hears that request every time we pray it. God, strengthen my faith. I, I'm doubting right now. Would you, would you help me? And I think God will be faithful to grow us, to strengthen us, and to supply us with exactly what we need to trust Him. Exactly what we need to follow Him. Let it be so. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in our weakness you are strong. That we don't come to you cleaned up and put together, but we come to you needy and broken and you meet us there and welcome us in. Would you help us this morning to see with fresh eyes all that is ours in Christ Jesus and help us to respond with gratitude and worship. And maybe for some of us, we just need to ask for your help. Would you break down our pride that we would even just admit we are in need and to ask? We thank you that you hear us. 
We thank you that you always hear us. Encourage our hearts now as we continue in song, as we practice confession, as we share in the Lord's table, that we might be strengthened for all that you call us to. In Christ's name, amen.